morning, Southbridge. We do have an amazing Savior, don't we? Would transform our lives, redeem us from sin. He's able to still intervene in the details of our lives and heal and guide and direct and comfort and do some amazing things. So we rejoice in that. We exist, we come together as a church and exist for the sake of connecting people, as many people as we possibly can, to Jesus Christ so they can experience life change through him because he's still changing lives today. Amen? We praise God for that, and thank you, Josh and Steph, for sharing your story with us today and uh, letting us be just a small part of the last six years of your life. And our desire is to walk in life, life on life together as Southbridge, and so one of the ways that we believe we connect people to Jesus for life change is by living out the one another's of Scripture we make available to everyone. That comes to our church, and even if you're not a regular attender of our church, you've been watching online, you're interested in one of our community groups, it's an opportunity for us to live out the one another's of Scripture. There's a community group kiosk out in the lobby, but uh, today I want to give a special hello to those of you who are here physically for the first time and uh, welcome you, so thank you so much for coming and worshiping Jesus Christ with us this morning, coming to a movie theater. I know that that can be a step of faith for some if you come from a background where you don't usually meet in a movie theater, or if you've never been to church before, thank you so much for coming today and uh, being here with us. And one thing we ask you to do, if you wouldn't mind, is fill out in your worship program, there's a little card we call it the connection card. If you'd fill that out, and as you're leaving the front doors this morning, you just turn to the left on the way outside the building, turn to your left, and we've got what we call a first-time guest kiosk. And if you turn that card in there, we're going to make a donation to another ministry uh, that reaches people all around the world, women, children, sometimes men, but rescues them out of sex slavery. It's a terrible tragedy that's taking place around our world and tries to share with them the same gospel that we'll talk about here this morning, the same gospel that transforms our lives and introduce them to the Savior that we know and connect people to Jesus for life change that way by turning that card in. So if you turn that in, that'd be a wonderful blessing. We've got some other gifts we'd love to give you too for doing that. Today what we're going to do is begin a new series called Supernatural. You saw the video just before I came up here. We're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to be doing this throughout the whole summer. So Galatians chapter 5, if you want, you can get a head start and go there and mark it in your Bibles, your iPads, your phone, whatever it is. You're pretending like you're paying attention, checking your email. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24 or 23 this whole summer. And so you can go ahead and if you've got one of the old style Bibles, like I'll be using this morning, you can mark it with a little ribbon there or whatever you want to do. But I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump into this series. Let me pray. Father, we come into your presence and uh, acknowledge that you are here present with us. And thank you for your throne of grace that allows us to approach you And Father, I pray uh, for any that have yet to place their faith in you, that today would be the day that they would do that, they would trust you. I pray for those who have burdens that are too heavy to carry, that they would cast them upon you. I pray for those of us who have things that we think are so small, that we would cast those upon you, that we would come to you and meet you, and you would be glorified by us trusting you more. Father, fill us with your spirit, guide us and direct us, be our counselor, comforter, keeper, encourage us as we open your word and speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, today we do begin this summer series that we're calling Supernatural, and as we begin, we're laying the foundation for the things we're going to talk about the rest of the summer. I want to ask you a foundational question, and the foundational question is simply this. Do you want the fulfilled life? Do you desire to have, do you want the fulfilled life? And I'm going to make the assumption that the majority of you would say yes, and so because you would say yes to that, let me ask you this question. (laughs) What does that mean? What does it even mean to have the fulfilled life? And if you look around at culture and hear the different voices that are being spoke to us through media and advertisements and all kinds of different things, there are a lot of answers to that question. There are a lot of people that will tell us what the fulfilled life is, and some of the messages actually conflict with one another. So what one do you believe? Is it if you buy this product, then you'll be more fulfilled? Or if you have this meal, just come to our restaurant, have this meal, and then you'll be filled, right? Very literally. Or if you go on this vacation have this type of relationship, have these kinds of experiences, accomplish these goals, if just this many people knew your name, if you had this kind of situation or this much money. It's all these things. 
And it reminds me of a commercial that came out about two or three years ago. It was put up by LendingTree.com. And the star of the commercial was a guy who identified himself as Stanley Johnson. And what happens in the commercial, it's about a 30-second spot on TV, and they go through a whole bunch of different scenes, and every time he says a one-line statement to describe his life, and they change the scene. And in the opening scene, he's standing there with his, his wife, and you can tell they get along well with each other, and they've got these three beautiful kids, and they're all standing still for the picture, <laughs> so you know it's not real, right? And, and he's standing there, probably not even really his kids, and he's standing there with these kids and with his wife, and they're smiling at each other, and he turns to the camera and says, Hi, I'm Stanley Johnson, and I've got a lovely family. And the next scene, it goes to his house, and he's standing at the fireplace, and he's leaning up against the fireplace, and he says, I own a wonderful four-bedroom home in a beautiful community. And then he comes driving up in this shiny car and says, like, my car? It's new. And he's smiling the whole time. Music's playing in the background. And then he shows him out on the golf course with some of his buddies. And he turns to the camera and says, I even belong to the local golf club. And somebody hits a shot. I'm sure it was like a perfectly straight shot too because it was on TV, right? And then after that it says, do you wonder how I do it? And the next scene is he's cleaning out his pool in the backyard and he says, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. And he's still smiling, and happy music is still playing in the background, and then he starts to talk about his life through the rest of the commercial. He says, I can't even pay my finance charges. You know, in the next scene, and at the end of the commercial, he's riding on a lawnmower, and he comes cruising through his front yard, and he says, somebody help me. And he's still got the smile, and the music's still playing. And what you see there is a guy who, everything looks great on the outside. It looks like the filled life, but he's got problems. And in the commercial, he admits one of his problems is debt. Some of you know what debt is like, and you know the pressure that that is, and you know the stress that that can be, and you know that that can lead to anxiety, and anxiety can lead to insomnia, and so I wonder how many sleepless nights Stanley Johnson has. So he lays there and thinks about, how am I going to pay this mortgage? Should I sell something? Should I, what should I do here? Or maybe he thinks that the, he's bought into the idea of materialism, and he thinks this is going to fill the emptiness inside of me, so I, just, I need to buy more stuff, and eventually it'll work out. Or maybe all that pressure leads him to depression, not anxiety. And we know that medical researchers have told us by the year 2020, depression is going to be the second most popular medical problem in all the world. And so maybe he's depressed. And he puts on the smile as kind of a facade to keep people from knowing what's really going on. And maybe that's all the stuff that's happening in his family's life, but we still haven't asked the question, why? Why would he do this? Is it because there's something in his soul that's empty, that's missing something, that's craving something, and he wants to fill it? And maybe he buys the lie of society, that if you just have enough stuff or enough success or if people just think certain things about you, then that'll fill the void and it's not working. So he keeps going for more and more and more beyond what he can actually handle. Or maybe it's a bigger issue than that for him. Maybe it's an issue where he was abandoned at some point in his life. And so in order to build up security, he has stuff or money. Or maybe he thinks the key to life is that he's successful and so he wants at least everybody to think he's successful. Or maybe he's trying to keep everybody at a distance so he creates a facade that everything's okay And inside, he's hurting. You know what the truth is? None of those things are true for Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson's not a real person. He's a character in a commercial. He's somebody that American marketers have made up because he's a picture of what so many Americans experience. He's a personification of a real problem in our society. Of people who look good on the outside, and even when they admit their problems, everything is fine, and they keep the smile, but on the inside, there's something missing. You know the worst place to be if that's true? It's church. If you've proclaimed to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm not saying you're not a follower of Jesus, but if you've proclaimed to be a follower of Jesus, you can't tell anybody that there's something missing in your soul, can you? That you feel like there's almost a hunger that needs to be filled. There's something that's just lacking there because surely you're the only one. 
And you can't tell anybody because if you told somebody, then they would know that you have real problems because you trusted Jesus and Jesus, he's more than enough. We sing about it and we read verses about it and we talk about it and he's the one that satisfies. And you claim to have him, but something's still missing. So you're trapped, aren't you? Do you have, not just do you want, do you have the fulfilled life? And some of you may say, I have Jesus, but it still feels like there's something missing. And we want to be able to be honest about that in this series. The filled life we'll see is described as the life that all of us want. It's described in Galatians chapter 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. It's that we would have an amazing amount of love, that we know what it is to be loved, we know what it is to love others, that we'd have an unspeakable joy. And regardless of circumstances, that we could rejoice in every circumstance, that we would have peace. Who has peace? How many people really have peace with God, with others, with themselves? Patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who actually experiences these things? And we say that we have the living God inside of us, so we should have it to a supernatural level. I read a book a couple years ago by Francis Chan. It's called Forgotten God. And if you haven't read the book, I recommend that you, you grab a copy and in the book, there's a chapter that he actually calls supernatural. And he asked a question in there about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, do you have this to a supernatural degree? And then he asked some questions that really get at it, that really penetrate my own heart. He says, are you more faithful and gentle than a Mormon? Do you have more peace than a Buddhist? Do you have more joy than an atheist? Because people can experience love at any level. People can experience joy in certain circumstances. People can experience peace when everything's right, right? But if we have the living God inside of us, shouldn't we have it to a supernatural level? That's the filled life. That's the life that we're talking about through this series. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I want you to ask yourself as you think about your own life, am I missing something? Do I have the fulfilled life? If you have your Bible, it's going to be in Galatians chapter 5, and I'll start reading in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5. What's going on in the book of Galatians is the Apostle Paul's writing a letter that's actually meant to be circulated amongst multiple churches that he helped start as a pastor that would go around and plant churches. And he went to them and he preached a message of grace. If you don't understand grace, it's when you're given something that you don't deserve. And what we're told that we all deserve is we deserve separation from God because we are by nature, not just that we sin and we do sinful things, we're born sinners. And because we're, by nature, sinners, we deserve condemnation. We deserve separation from God. We deserve hell. But by his grace, not because of anything about us, because we don't deserve it, by his grace, he gives us a gift. And that gift is eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. And what the problem is, is that many people in this church didn't know what to do with this gift of grace. It's like if I gave you some money today. If I, I took out some cash and I decided to, to hand it out, and I will randomly give it to you, my friend over here that's on the end, and I give him a gift. He took it. That's great. It's great that you took the gift. But I didn't do it because of, you know, where you're at or you wore nice clothes today or I'm blinded by the light and I should have given it to somebody else. Well, it wasn't any of that stuff. It's just I chose to. I just picked you to give you a gift. And what had happened in this church in Galatia is they didn't know how to handle the gift. And so there were some people that thought, well, they could just blow the gift. It's really kind of cheap. Right? It's like if you just wanted to go blow it, you can look at it. It won't take you very long. Uh, you can go blow the gift. And their theory was this, God loves to forgive, and I love to sin. It's like a match made in heaven, right? It's like perfect. And so they would abuse grace, and they'd do whatever they wanted to do. It was called license. It was like they had a license to sin. And then there were other people that received this gift of grace, 
But they didn't want to abuse it. They wanted to be really careful not to abuse it. So they set up a bunch of rules. Like, you better not spend it today because it's Sunday. And you're definitely not going to Chick-fil-A. So you can't do that. And, and you've got to make sure that you give a certain percentage back. And there's all this stuff. And some of the rules were good rules. But they were doing what's called legalism. And so some of the people in the church struggle with license. Some of the people in the church struggle with legalism. Both of those groups of people were going to miss the fulfilled life. And so Paul writes this to them in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You don't need all these rules. This is what will happen. It's a promise. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You don't have to worry about legalism. You don't have to worry about sin. But let me tell you what it's like if you do whatever you want. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature, they're obvious. We've all seen this stuff before. We're not spend time explaining it. Some of these lists, the list here is not exhaustive, but some of the things he lists are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. That's it. You're not even ashamed of doing those things anymore. Idolatry, that's something central in your life other than God. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, it could be called anger, selfish ambition, your whole life revolves around you, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Not an exhaustive list, it's and the like, this type of stuff. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Wait for a second. Patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And here Paul describes what we ultimately long for. Many of us don't have words to put on it, but we long to have a life where we know what it is to be loved and that we love others. An unconditional kind of love. That we'd have an unspeakable kind of joy. That we would experience peace. Peace in our hearts with ourselves. Peace with God. Peace with others. Patience. Who has patience? We get our food through a window in our culture. Uh, We have lines at the store for ten items or less. You know why? Because we don't have patience. And so we can't even wait. So we're counting other people's items. You know, it's just the way that it is. So who actually has this? Do you have this? Do you have a fulfilled life? Would these things characterize your life? And what is it? If we're going to have it, the foundational thing that we need to know is the fulfilled life is a filled life. And that's foundational for our whole series. The fulfilled life is a filled life. Now I say that, recognizing that probably every ear that will hear these words online, listening live today, whatever the situation is, is probably not looking for more stuff to fill their life with. Probably the majority of people here are very busy people. You probably, if you're doing your email instead of actually taking notes right now, it's probably because you feel so overwhelmed with all the things that you have to do. And you've got to clear out the inbox. You've got all kinds of stuff. You're probably not twiddling your thumbs waiting for me to give you an assignment for more stuff for you to do. You're busy. How many times do you talk to somebody and you say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm so busy. Do you ever talk to someone and say, how are you doing? Oh, I don't have anything to do. You laugh at the idea of that. If someone actually said that to you, you'd probably look at them like they had a head growing out of their elbow. Like, what? You don't have anything to do? And we act like, even in the church, we act like like busyness is next to godliness. It's, it's like, it's got to be in the Proverbs somewhere, right? It, it, that's how we function. And so I don't doubt that all of your lives are full. They're full of all kinds of stuff. And some of us, we even buy into the cultural lies that we need to fill them with stuff. Or we need to, if we feel this void in our heart, we can get more things that will make us feel better. One in four Americans admits that they shop their way out of their problems, 25%. Buy some new shoes, buy a nice sweater. You'll feel better. 
Or maybe it's that we need more accomplishments. And so that's why those that do are workaholics, instead of working 40 hours a week, they work 80 hours a week. They can get their accomplishments better and they'll stay really busy, right? And we do all this stuff to fill our lives. We fill our lives with food. We fill our lives with stuff. We fill our lives with accomplishments, with other relationships, with all these things. So why do we still feel empty? It's because we're filling our lives with things that will never satisfy. It's like if you went on a diet where all you ate was junk food. I told the first service that if I told my kids they got to pick their own meal for a whole week, I think that they would pick ice cream for every meal. Maybe they put some chocolate sauce on it, sprinkle some nuts on there just to get their protein in, right? And what would happen was they would get sick. Long term, they would get fat and they would eventually die. And they would start to feel the effects of that sickness. That's what's happening with many of us in our souls. We've been feeding our souls junk food. We've been trying to fill it with stuff that will never truly... It feels good in the moment. It seems good at the moment, just like a dessert does, right? But then the long term, if that's your diet, then no wonder our souls feel sick. So what will really fill, when I talk about that the filled life is a filled life, the fulfilled life is a filled life, I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit of God, the member of the Trinity that actually functions in our lives here today. The Father has planned out your salvation, planned out those good works that Josh read about. He's planned that all out for you. The Son, Jesus Christ, purchased that salvation for you. That's why we sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. He paid a debt that we couldn't pay. He gave his life as a ransom for us. He paid and purchased our salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit that personalizes it. It's the Holy Spirit that applies it to our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And you see, he's kind of important around the fruit of the Spirit. You go back and look at the passage, and he's all over the place. Verse 16, I say, live by the Spirit. You can underline that. And you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. There he is again. And the Spirit, again, what is contrary to the sinful nature. And you drop down to verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then the Acts of the Flesh in 19.21, and then verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit, nine different descriptors. And then you get to verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit's kind of important here in this passage. Seven times in ten verses, we see the Spirit mentioned. So who is the Spirit? He's not a what, he's a who. So who is the Spirit? Well, we read throughout the Scriptures and we see he's a counselor, he's a comforter, he's a guide, he's a helper, he convicts, and he will also bring freedom. He does all kinds of things in our lives. And you have him if you know Jesus Christ. Everyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ has the Spirit of the living God. And you don't need more of him. It's not that you didn't get enough. It's not like you've got an extra small drop or a diluted portion of God living inside of you. You have all of God that you need. You don't need a second blessing. You don't need some great message on the Spirit. You don't need some climactic experience. You have the Spirit. And that's what the Scripture teaches us. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says it like this. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And the opposite way you could say that is, if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the Spirit. So not everybody has the Spirit. Those of you who placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to Him. He paid your sin debt. Those of you who've received Christ as your Savior, those of you who are going one way and saw your sin and it wasn't working, you turned to Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Whatever language you want to use for that, of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Spirit. Ephesians says it like this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel, which is a phrase for say, our word for saying good news, the good news of your salvation, the way that you could be redeemed, rescued. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, and that seal was the promised Holy Spirit. So when you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says it this way. Do you not know? Did you not realize? Uh, Corinthians, do you not know that your body, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit? He's in you, whom you receive from God. How? You're not your own. See, God planned this out, and then Jesus Christ, he purchased you. You were bought at a price. And when you were purchased, when you were redeemed, when you were purchased by the Son, by the plan of the Father, you received the Spirit. And so each one of us that have trusted Jesus Christ our Savior, we have the Spirit, and we have as much of the Spirit as we need. But, don't miss this, just because you have the Spirit doesn't mean you're filled with the Spirit. Just because you have the Spirit of God in you doesn't mean you're filled with the Spirit of God. That's why there are commandments in this passage. Verse 16, live by the Spirit. Some of your translations will say, walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. And verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. It's these things that we're to do. They're all synonyms for what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. They're all saying the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's a commandment that we'd be filled. That's the fulfilled life. The fulfilled life is a filled life. It's when we're filled with the Spirit. Why do you think in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Is it because he's on like some, I hate these beer commercials during the football games. Let's cut those out. Cut that so you can get the Christians will protest and it'll be done. Nope. It's not some abolition movement that he's on at this moment. He's writing to the Ephesians. The Ephesians know what it's like to get drunk, as some of us perhaps maybe do too. No amens, no raising your hand at this moment, okay? But if you've ever been drunk, you know what happens is that alcohol has a controlling effect on you. It's why they call it under the influence. It changes your decision-making. Now, many of us, we will drink to get drunk or have drank to get drunk because... We want to be a different person. We want our inhibitions to go away. We want to make different decisions. We want it to be in control of our lives. But anybody who's been drunk knows that alcohol can control you and control your decision-making process, control your judgments. He says, don't do that. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be filled with, in other words, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it is to be filled with the Spirit. It's that the Spirit's controlling your life. He could have said to a whole bunch of, maybe if he was writing to Americans, he would have specifically said, don't be controlled by all the stuff in your life, but be filled with the Spirit. Or, or don't be controlled by some person that you make all your decisions based on. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit dictate your decisions. See, what controls you is what determines your decision making. It's what you spend your time thinking about. It's the thing that determines where you spend your money. It's the thing that determines where you spend your time. It's the thing that will make decisions in every given circumstance for you. Whatever it is that controls you, and for many of us it's different things. A great question to ask yourself today would be, what controls my life? What do I think about in my downtime? What determines my decisions? Is it money? Is it another person? Is it materialism? Is it my success? Is it my fear of failure? Is it this void in my soul that I'm trying to fill with so many other things? Is it the Spirit of God? He says, don't be controlled by any of this other stuff. And you could fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be drunk with wine. It could be anything. Don't be controlled by your work. Don't be controlled by other people's opinions of you. Don't be controlled by your desire for success or popularity or fill in the blank with whatever it is, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And so how do you do that? Isn't that the real question? Because you can hear a pastor come in and tell you, go be filled with the Spirit. And you leave, God, fill me with your Spirit. Okay, it didn't work. <laughs> come back next week. The real question is how? How do I do this? How am I actually filled with the Spirit? And so what we're going to talk about today and applying this to our lives is how in the world can we be filled with the Spirit? And there are errors in thinking about this. And the errors oftentimes fall in categories much like the Galatians had. Uh, there's the idea of, you know, just kind of let God do what he's going to do. It's the let go, let God, and just surrender. If I just surrendered enough, and I just must not be surrendering enough, then the, I'd be filled with the Spirit. And so I just need to surrender more. I surrender all. I surrender. Didn't work. Okay, I need to surrender more. You know, whatever it is you need to do at that moment. And it's kind of under the category of license. It's just, I'm going to just give it all to God, and then anything that happens, it must be his fault. We wouldn't say that, but that's kind of the way it works out. Or there's the idea of legalism. Well, give me the rules, the steps, the formula that I need to work so that I can then be filled with the Spirit. And neither one of those is right. What the Spirit wants to do is He wants to guide your life. He wants to lead your life. He wants to walk with you. And it's a dynamic process where you work together in this process. And what He says here, and He makes it so clear, is that you'll be refined by the Spirit when you're filled with the Spirit. You see, the Spirit-filled life is a life of being refined by the Spirit. And look at the first thing He says in this passage. It's a command. So you're responsible for it. So I say, live by the Spirit. And then he gives a promise. See how this works together? And you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. He's going to refine that sinful nature. He's going to take away those desires. They're going to change. It's a purging process where the sin is taken out of your life. It's a death process. And you read about it if you jump down to the end of this passage in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. And that's where those passions and desires begin to change. It's because you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ your Savior, you crucified your sinful nature. It doesn't say here that God will crucify it. Now, there's four times where crucifixion is mentioned not referring to Jesus in the Scripture. All the other times, it's passive. I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's another place in Galatians. Here, it's not passive. It says you have crucified your sinful nature. You might want to ask yourself, well, when did I do that? <laughs> if I crucified something, it seems like that would be something I would remember, doesn't it? Like, like nailing something to a cross doesn't seem like a very forgettable experience. Do you know when you crucified your sinful nature? It's when you turned to Jesus Christ at the point of your conversion. Uh, you repented. You, you realized you were going your own way and you turned to Jesus. And you nailed, at that point, your sinful nature to the cross. That was a death blow. Here's the problem. Crucifixion is a slow death. And you and I both know experientially that while we've turned to Jesus Christ, we've received salvation, we still want to sin. And we still struggle. Even this passage says, and I don't do what I want. And that famous passage in Romans, I don't do what I want, and what I want to do, I don't do. And there's this battle that happens within us because the sinful nature, it's still dying. It's a process. It's a refining process. And if we're honest, what most of us, we want to do is we want to just say, you don't know, preach the right message, say the right phrase, Scott, and then I could just be done with this stuff. Or if I could just get some, like, right, buy the right book, and that's why we buy books, like Three Secrets to Killing the Sinful Nature, or Three Secrets to Spiritual Happiness, or whatever they are, and that's why they sell, and that's why those sermons, that people would love that, and that week, they'd love that sermon until it didn't work the next week. Because reality is, it's a process, and we wish we could take some spiritual steroids and skip the process. Because then we skip all the drama, and we skip all the death, and it's painful, and it's difficult. 
It's like a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we were visiting a, a friend's house. We had our whole family with us. All We got four little girls, and we recently purchased a puppy. I haven't told everybody that yet, but we got this little puppy. He's just a few weeks old. He's a miniature dachshund, super cute. One of my daughters named him. His name is Noble, and uh, he weighs about five pounds. And so if you wouldn't think he's cute, you probably don't have a heart. And because he is a pretty awesome dog, and, and so we love him. And, and they allowed us, our friends, graciously allowed us to bring the dog to their house while we were hanging out with them. And they got this beautiful house. They've got this really long deck on the back of their house, and they're there's like an open deck on one side, open deck on the other side, and the middle part is, uh, it would be like a screen and porch, but it's got glass windows on it. And my wife was there with our little baby, 10-month-old little girl on the floor. Noble was there, and our other girls were there, except for one I had taken with me. And we'd gone off, and we were playing together. And Shannon, while she's sitting out on this porch, a bird comes flying in. Only the bird doesn't fly in one side and then fly out the other side. It's a stupid bird. So what the bird does is it flies in, and then it makes a turn to the window. Bang! You know, hits the window but doesn't die. But it still tries to get out the window, starts banging into the window. Well, Shanna, she is a very petite girl, but she's, you know, bigger than a bird. But for some reason, she was scared to death of this bird. So she just starts screaming her head off. She said, I started freaking out. But it's a bird! You know, she grabs the baby. I don't know if it's because, like, birds carry diseases or kind of nasty or whatever, but grabs the baby and she runs in the house. Girls, get in the house! You know, there's a bird! She's screaming about it. She closes the door and she's inside the house and she looks out there and realizes she left Noble out there. <laughs> And Noble sees the bird, and she's yelling, Noble, don't bite the bird! And I don't know if it's because of her high voice or what it was, but he thought she was playing. And so he runs over, and somehow it translated, kill bird, you know, and she, he runs over, whoop, grabs the bird, because the bird's so dumb, it's flying like three feet above the ground. He bites the bird. But I don't know if he like, totally doesn't know how to do this thing yet, because he's still a puppy or what. The bird doesn't die, and he lets it go. And it starts flying around again, about three feet above the ground. Shannon's yelling, don't bite the bird again, you know. <laughs> he bounds over, whoom, clamps on the bird. Bird still doesn't die. Bird's trying to get off the window still. Now it's a little shaken, so it kind of stumbles underneath the table. And then he bounds over again, wham, third time's a charm. Bird's all gone. Hasn't been cleaned up before I get back, I will add, but it's dead. I get back to the house, and Shannon says, you know, I'll never believe what Noble did. There's a dead bird on the back porch. I'm like, I don't want to touch that thing. Why is that out there? I wish I had been there because it would have been a better story. I'd had a broom and blankets and all kinds of stuff. There would have been more drama, but I missed the drama. I missed the whole process. If we're candid, most of us would love to miss the process of killing our sin nature. We wish it would just die, but it doesn't. And it's a battle, and it is a drama, and there is a process. And Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. But by, if by the Spirit you're putting, putting to death presently and continuously, putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. You'll live the fulfilled life. It's part of the process of being filled with the Spirit. It's a refining process. The problem is that many of us, we continue to help the sinful nature survive. Remember when Jesus was, he was on the cross and he was crucified. It took hours for him to die, right? Some people, it took days for them to die. There were thousands of people crucified in Jesus' day. Some of them, it took days for them to die. Now, there were soldiers there that made sure it happened, though. It was a sure death. When something's nailed to a cross, it will die. But it will take time. And for some, it will take longer than others. For some of us, what we do is we continue to give life to you because we keep feeding our sinful nature. We prolong this process. We nurture the process. And somebody tell me after the first service, they had just gone to some CPR classes. And they're telling me in the CPR class that what happens when your heart stops is it starts to murmur. And one of the reasons why they do compressions on the chest is just to continue to keep it murmuring until they get there where they can shock it and keep it alive. And so it's like a way to prolong death. 
That's what many of us do with our sinful natures. We're prolonging the death of our sinful nature because we keep feeding the sinful nature with all the junk and all the lies and all these things. You dealt it a death blow. And you work with the Spirit and living by the Spirit. And he promises, verse 16, that he will change your desires in your life. It's like changing your appetite. Because you've crucified the sinful nature. You've crucified your flesh. It's a refining process. Not only is it a refining process, though, it's a process of following the Spirit. People that are filled with the Spirit not only go through, are being refined by the Spirit, but people that are filled with the Spirit follow the Spirit. People that are filled with the Spirit, they follow the Spirit. The Spirit desires to lead us. In verse 18, it says in Galatians chapter 5, to be led by the Spirit. It's that still small voice that speaks to us, tells us which direction to go. It's the guide. He is a guide for us. It's why he's able to intercede for us when we don't have words to pray when we're praying to the Father because he knows the circumstances in our life and he's guiding us through those circumstances. He's our comforter and he comforts us in those times of difficulty. He's the counselor for us. He's the one we go to for wisdom and making decisions. He wants to make every decision for us and lead us through the decisions. But we have to follow. The ultimate example of this is Jesus Christ. Jesus in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 when he's going out into the desert to be tempted by Satan it says this, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit So he knew the fulfilled life. Full of the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Now think about where the Spirit's leading him. He's leading him somewhere where none of us would naturally go. Out into the desert to fast for 40 days. (laughs) Sign me up for that. And then to be tempted by Satan himself face to face. But he had to do that. And so as he trusted his father and as he was led by the Spirit, he goes out and he's tempted by Satan so that he could be tempted in all ways, just as you and I are tempted. But then not sin, so he could be the sinless substitute for us on the cross. If he sinned, he, it changes everything. And if he doesn't go out and get tempted like that, then he doesn't understand us the same way. But he's, sin, he's tempted in every way. It doesn't sin, so that he can understand in every situation you. So that he can lead you through every one of those situations and sympathize with you. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us. He knows what it's like for us to go through these things. But the problem is, many of us can't be led by him because we don't know his voice. Because we've got so many voices speaking to us. It's like if someone called you on your phone and they weren't in your caller ID and you pick it up, you ever had this happen? And they start talking to you because they know who they called. But you don't know who's called you and so they start talking to you and you're starting to think, should I guess or should I just say, who is this? And that's what some of us would be like. The Holy Spirit starts speaking to us. It's that still small voice. It's like a whisper amongst all the things that are happening out there. And all the stuff that's saying, if you just bought this, if you just went on this vacation, if you just had this, and then here's the three spiritual steps. And if you just prayed more, and if you just do these rules, and if you would just need to let go and let God, there's all this stuff. And the Spirit of God's trying to speak to you, and you can't be led by him. Because you don't recognize his voice. You know what Jesus says in John chapter 10? He's using an analogy of sheep and shepherd. He says, my sheep, they follow me because they know my voice. They won't follow a stranger. They know the stranger's voice. Do you know what that chapter's about? Look at verse 10. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes. He's going to come with a bunch of different voices. He can come telling you a bunch of different lies to steal, kill, and destroy you. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, the fulfilled life. So how in the world do we get to the point where we can follow? Well, we've got to rest. We've got to stop and rest in the Spirit of God. Not only be refined by the Spirit and follow the Spirit, but rest in the Spirit. 
We've got these hundreds and hundreds of things that are coming into our lives. All these things that we're trying to fill our soul with. And John Piper says it like this. We need to rid our lives of the hundreds and hundreds of pieces of the world and let our souls rest in God. St. Augustine said it like this. Our souls are restless until they find rest in him. In our passage of scripture, we see that we're to keep in step with the spirit. He's the one leading. He's the one guy. We don't need to think about where we're going. We don't need to think about all that stuff. It's like if you're in the military running with your, your platoon, you're, you're with them. You just keep in step. You just keep in rhythm with. But we miss it. We got all these voices. We got all this stuff happening and we miss it. So we need to stop. Rid ourselves of all this stuff. It's part of the refining process. And rest in the spirit of God. And find our rest in him. Some of us, we're not very good at rest. Anxiety is a huge problem in our culture. Anxiety leads to insomnia. Lots of people that have it, workaholics, do all this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, naturally, I'm a, I'm a doer. I like to do stuff. My wife even said to me this weekend, she said, uh, you're just doing stuff because you don't want to stop. You don't know how to stop. I wanted to fix the network at our house. I'm not technologically inclined. We were just sitting on the couch, and I start to feel guilty after a couple minutes if I'm not doing something. And so I said, I want to do something. And so what I have to do, I actually have to necessarily discipline myself to stop. Because if you can't stop, it's a sign of an unhealthy soul. And so I discipline myself to stop. How often? When? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. Because you need to have the Spirit tell you that. But he guides you and directs you. When, how can he speak to you if you never stop and listen? And listen to his voice. Why do you think it is I quote so many times Matthew chapter 11 verse 28? Because I need to be reminded of it. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. But not just rest like a nap. Rest for your soul, he says in that passage. We can't come to it. We've got to stop our busy lives and all the stuff we have going on. And what many of us would like to do is continue the busy lives and continue all the stuff and sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on there like nuts on the ice cream. But the reality is we've got to stop and he has to be the one that fills us. He's the one that guides us. He's the one that directs us. He is the comforter. He is the counselor. He's the one that will show us which way to go in our decision-making process. But it requires a trust. It requires a surrender. It requires a working with him in the killing of our sin. It requires a willingness to follow his lead and we have to hear his voice and rest in him. That means stopping and acknowledging that he's God, that we're not. Think about what rest is. God doesn't ever sleep. We all sleep. We all got sleep in the last few days. At some point in time, you slept. Why? Because you're limited. And you need rest. And you cannot survive without rest. And so every time you lay your head on the pillow at night, you're acknowledging, he's God, you're not. It's an act of dependence for you to rest. And our soul needs the same thing. We need him. He's the only one that will actually fulfill our lives. And he does it through the power of his Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God, a supernatural power at work within us that can do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine according to the power, the Spirit that's at work within us. That's what that passage says. It was read to you today. And so I ask you the question. Same question I asked at the beginning. Do you have the fulfilled life? Because a fulfilled life is a life filled by the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled by the Holy Spirit, you're being refined by the Holy Spirit. Not only are you being refined by the Holy Spirit, but you're following his lead. And the way that that happens is when you rest in him. And for many of us, that means we need to stop. That's what we're going to do today. I recognize that some of you, you've had no moments of stopping this week. And we're going to give you a few moments to just stop and talk to him. And ask the Spirit to speak to you. We want each one of you to live the fulfilled life where you're actually characterized the things we'll talk about in the weeks ahead, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, but it can't happen unless you're filled by the Spirit of God that controls and directs and guides your life. It doesn't just happen in this moment, but we want to give you this moment. 
Some of you couldn't possibly experience this because you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have the Spirit. And so what you need to do is you need to receive Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And you do that by acknowledging your sin before him. I am a sinner. There's no way I can please God. And so I need Jesus Christ, the forgiveness he offers on the cross, and place your faith in that. And he becomes your Savior. And so when we bow our heads and pray in just a moment, you can just pray and say, God, I acknowledge my sin, and I want to trust Jesus Christ to be my Savior. If you're confused about that or have any questions about that, I want to pray with someone about that. We'll have people from our response team that will be up here after the service. They'll have little yellow tags on that say response team. For those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you some moments just to speak to him and ask the Spirit of God to speak to your heart, to guide you, direct you, comfort you, counsel you, and to fill you. I'll begin us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you. And we just want to acknowledge that you are God, that we are not, and we want you to speak to us. God, for those of us who need to repent, will you convict our hearts? Get rid of, purge in our lives, whatever it is that needs to be purged. And Father, for those of us who need a word of counsel, a word of comfort, will you please speak to our hearts? For each of us, will you fill us with yourself? Will you guide us and direct us in this time of even stopping in your presence?